0: Welcome to TechnoSocial. My name is Daniel Fraga. And I'm Owen Cox, and this is Scouts of the Newer a weekly show where we're talking about all things shamanic, symbolic, occult, and technological from the weird side of the internet.
1: Consider becoming our patron and uh, donating to help us continue to pump more of this weird and wacky content from the other side of reality all the way to the comfort of your own screen. We hope you enjoy
0: patreon.com forward slash technosocial. Welcome everybody to Scouts of the Newer a new weekly techno-social episode with me and Daniel where we're talking about things wild, wary from the realms of the digital universe.
1: And this week we go deep into the weird, wacky shit. We're going to talk about egregores and superorganisms. What are they? So imagine if you have a microscope to look at microbes because your sensory apparatus doesn't really let you look into the cells, into the microbes. Well, imagine the same happens for macrobes. Imagine that there's something to which you haven't evolved to perceive, which your sensory apparatus doesn't really let you look at because it's so abstract, because it's collective, it's composite. Imagine you're fish. You're trying to perceive the whole of the water and maybe what's outside of the water. That's how we look at uh, superorganisms and egregores, thought forms, autonomous, Owen. Oh, Have any thoughts on that? Mm. Well, what comes to
0: mind for me as a simple one is a language, right? The English language take. It has evolved over time. If you open up a book from 300 years ago or from 50 years ago, it's written in a different way to how people write now. If you listen to clips from people on BBC radio or Top of the Pops back in the day, people are speaking slightly differently. The grammar, the vocabulary is different. Mm. But nobody is setting the rules that says you must use this word at this time. The words and the way they're phrased match the social circumstances. In some sense, the people bring them into, into being. But in the same way, the words and the grammar themselves bring the people into being. Until something is thought, until a word like postmodernism is come up with. Nobody can discuss about postmodernism. That's the way the language works, right? So we bring these new abstract entities into being and then they they play with us we become their puppets in a sense we identify as as subjects beneath these these thought forms these signifiers and so the the postmodern structuralist analysis is to look at them as if they, they use the word signifiers right they try to rationally frame them they are um, in a sense they're scientifies they're de-autonomized but i think what we're doing here is looking at them through the lens there is something organic
1: about them. They reproduce, they move, they swim
0: in a sense.
1: It's, it's so interesting that at the same time that we're talking about um, something that almost looks occult, right? we are t- calling them thought forms, calling them egregores, maybe titans, maybe gods. It's interesting that at the same time, you mentioned that they have properties of living beings. They seem to have bacteriological properties they seem to act like big bacteria nick lance says exactly that and it seems as though these larger organisms these abstract entities you know maybe the economy the human economy is their digestive system that tries to is at the foundation of of what they are maybe the the internet is their collective mind or maybe a web on which it captures its prey and tries to sustain itself. Because let's not forget the the same way that humans are to the cattle that we farm, to the pigs and the cows and the chickens that we factory farm, the the relationship that we have to them perhaps is similar to the relationship that these superorganisms have to us, meaning we are their sustenance. We are their substrate. We are the petri dish on which their culture can emerge and we are perhaps cultivated by them it's reciprocal it's weird it's it's totally weird not especially because we are to its body like fish are to the water meaning we cannot escape the fact that it's composed of memes and that we think with memes and that the body of the superorganism is composed of memes
0: we think with memes or the memes think with us as that medium. Now, in a sense, in the way that our brain is made up of electrical and chemical synapses, we, in a sense, are the synapses for the transmission of the memes. It's just extending up a higher order of of information transmission. And there's something about them feeding off us, right? It was something known to, our ancient ancestors and our prehistoric ancestors who worship the ancestors, right? That there is, there are practices and serious rituals and serious disciplines around placating the ancestors, making sure that they're happy, making sure that the spirits that watch over and guide and inform and that have come before are not angered, are not, Irritated, and what do these rituals involve? Well, perhaps it involves saying a prayer, or perhaps it involves lighting a flame, perhaps it involves singing a song. The song, or the flame, or the prayer. Materialistically, it's like it's it's one or the other, right? But what actually comes about is the subjective transformation that occurs as a result of engaging in the prayer or the flame hmm. or the chant or whatever it is—an orientation of the speaking being towards the idea of these thought forms, these ancestors, these egregores, which is precisely what a spiritual or a transcendent practice is to orientate oneself towards these invisible abstractions that tend to
1: move. I feel like we're talking about ways of engagement, ways of negotiation. So there's this amazing show called Full Metal Alchemists, an anime show. It's on Netflix. Everyone should watch it. And one thing that I learned from it is that in alchemy, there is something called the law of equivalent exchange. For something received, there must be something given away. This principle really resonated because A, it's a fun show, but B, it's such a synthetic way to say something that is fundamental to these laws of negotiation with reality and the titans that we're trying to refer to here. Let me explain. You remember when Jordan Peterson was talking about uh, the progress of the chosen people uh, in the Old Testament and that when they perform their sacrifices and get their duties that God would be okay with them and and would reward them. But when they weren't good with their duties and they would worship the idols and become sinful, then God would strike them down, put them into slavery, hurt them again, right? What that might be pointing towards is is that the ancestors, aka reality, presuppose a way of relating to it, and there's a right way and a wrong way, meaning sacrifice to these superorganisms is fundamental. Now, back in the day, people would perhaps sacrifice their best bull and they would dress up altogether and get into the top of a mountain. And maybe that sacrifice of the bull is already very expensive. Furthermore, they're also sacrificing some of their time and attention looking at it. And the priest would perhaps kill the bull and the blood and all that ritual would produce, like you said, these changes in belief systems, these changes in the perception that would somehow create. A perceived or real, probably the same, they would create a a difference in that relationship. They would negotiate with reality, with a titan. Something would happen. I think the same thing happens with us today. When you are paying attention to an ad, to a social media post, to a meme, you're actually sacrificing 1.32 seconds of your attention every single time. And that indeed constitutes a way to negotiate, a way to interact. I think it was you who told me that the root of the word negotiate in Latin has, has something special to it.
0: So otium is peace and negotium is
1: literally the negation of peace. So So it's really kind of this, this fucking with the entropy of reality, fucking with a piece of it and saying, No, uh, uh, I want to change you and I want to change you in X, Y and Z ways. And there are a few ways that are correct and many ways in which they are incorrect. These ways are not equal. It is not equalitarian. You do not plant a tomato in December in the Northern Hemisphere. So in the same way that in agriculture, right? you know, you can survive and plant properly according to the rule, or you can die by trying to plant a tomato in February. That's kind of the metaphor that I try to use. Reality has an order. It has a way of being. We have five fingers. It's we don't have six fingers. We have to sleep at night. We have to drink and we have to eat. And those perhaps, that's the structure of the human universe. And There is a structure because there is a structure to us. Therefore there must be a structure to the universe. And so when we speak of negotiating with these titans, it, it happens in, in, in such and such ways. Mm.
0: And look, the word negotiate, which comes from negotium, that's the Latin, the Roman word for, for business, to conduct one's business, to do negotium. And this is the fucking Roman Empire we're talking about, right? These are not hippies who chill around and want to go back to Mother Earth. No, these are conquering imperialists they believe that negotium is the path of a higher civilization right so don't get lost in thinking that this is like a disturbing of a peace that is is tranquil and best left alone no it's engaging with reality in an almost ethical manner is to engage in negotium to to observe the patterns that exist the the apparent harmonies and the apparent symbiosis between things and attempt to skillfully craft them and shape them towards one's own ends. Ideally, they're ends that are noble and and oriented towards greater creativity and production rather than to destruction and, nihilism hmm. and indulgence. But it can go any which way, really.
1: Feels like uh, there's one of two ways that we can go now. There's actually just one way that we can go now, but people perceive and act out two potential ways. One of them, shout out to Chris from meme analysis—he's the one who who refers to this—and this is also connecting with the idea of Alexander Bard called the Matrix. One of those ways is to go back to Mother Earth, is to stop striving, because listen—the moment that agriculture started, the civilization, the market, in the uh, started right about ten thousand years ago, we stopped living in circular time. We stopped living nomadically in connection with the land and our tribes would never get too big because that's there's only so much you can need out of a nomadic lifestyle. And then all of a sudden, boom, the event. Time will never go circularly again. We are going somewhere. Tomorrow is different than today. We are in exodus through the fourth dimension. And in 2020, there's not really any way to go back. Like this ball has been rolling for a fuckload of time. Civilizations have come and they have gone and there has been death and crying and so much of stuff has happened cumulatively that at this point when when some people speak about going back or stopping, I feel like that's a certain regression towards the matrix. That's a certain game denial. That's a certain way to... Of what, and, and I understand the appeal of this very much so, but I feel like the proper way to act towards this is the only possible way, which is we either get the mastery that we set out to achieve 10,000 years ago over reality and over ourselves, especially over the ghosts of reality, the mental landscape, because we've pretty much got the physical landscape on, on control even even though we're fucking up the planet. But either we fix the problem of man ahead tomorrow still in linear time um, or perhaps we might get just stuck stuck in the web of, of the internet as spider the world wide web and and get stuck into the self-recursive ontology right um, that's where the titans are starting to awaken now because that's that's it's rocky five to the end of the act two it's no longer a noble story it's you know It's Aragorn going under the mountains and trying to recruit the ghost kings. Um, That's what comes to mind at this stage in history.
0: It's a stage of decadence, right? We have really lost our way, and that's not some kind of moral judgment, but it's just a way in saying that the technologies and the mental technologies that we use to make sense of ourselves and our place in the world when i say mental technologies i'm talking about things like like religions science mental methods for creating abstractions and worldviews that we then use to interface we've kind of lost control of them or rather these technologies and, and psychotechnologies, if you will, we're not up to scratch with them. We've created incredibly powerful machines for producing consumer goods, and we've lain waste to our environment completely. We've created bombs that can destroy the world several times over. We've created a a framework for understanding man and his place in the universe that tells him, basically, you're on this earth to not die and enjoy yourself. And which feeds perfectly into the techno-economic machine that then churns out ever more products and chokes ever more of the landscape. You know, everybody knows that we're in an unhealthy civilization and it's reflected in the way that people are falling apart Mentally, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, lack of meaning. It's all over the place. Someone like Jordan Peterson shows up and says, take responsibility, and fucking half the world, Western world's men suddenly get an immense daddy savior projection because they're like, oh My God, there's 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 other ways of being, right? And it's 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 hard to say exactly what's happened, right? Whether this has all been orchestrated. By design, or whether it's just a really kind of tragic unraveling of a worldview that once upon a time thought that if it placed man at the top of the hierarchy of being and used his rationality to conquer everything else, then we could do whatever we wanted forever. But almost at the moment where we thought we could conquer everything, where we created the technologies that would link us up with everybody else. They've turned around and conquered us, swallowed us in a very real sense. And now we're addicted to social media feeds, addicted to Twitter. Things like, what's that documentary that came out the other day? The Social Dilemma. Everybody knows that social media is a problem. Everyone with kids looks at their kids who are on their phones for six, seven hours a day and thinks, hmm, things aren't all rosy. Things aren't all right here. But we just don't know what to do. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to step off the horse in a sense. It's hard to, I think the real challenge is actually taking a deep breath and saying, okay, I think we've already, we've lost that game. This machine, if you will, because that's what it is. It is an autonomous drive. You know, what Nick Land calls techno capital, but also the materialist worldview. It's an autonomous drive that has run out of control. It's a God that now is totally devouring everything.
1: I want to go full golden phallus on you here, full Gordian knot, solar king type shit. So you remember that image and help me out here. You remember that image with Aragorn going and they're in a mountain and talking to the ghost Kings, right? Mm. We are also underground in 2020 under the bosom of the queen spider, the internet. And in a similar kind of mountain, there's a fuckload of ghosts, of dead ghosts, maybe headless, right, roaming around. These are wills that were unfulfilled. In French, the word "fantasme" is used to refer to sexual fantasy. All these phantasms, these fantasies, phantasmatic content, the debris of capitalism and of the, you know, ankle point of techno capitalism and the information age, they are there. They are around us, and they're like hooks that stick to our skin everywhere, right? Fucking with our agency, fucking with where we are, et cetera. Um, What does one gain from looking at social dilemma? Basically nothing or more of the same other than, oh, now you know, but you have zero defense. Why? Because there is no courage to designate, to affirm and to declare something at the end of such a movie.
0: Well, and there's still the sense that it's going to be these Silicon Valley nerds who are going to solve it.
1: Yeah, you, you know, when you go to mass, uh, I used to go to mass, and then at the end, you have like this, this public gathering of funds or whatever the fuck, and people leave feeling a little bit better. Uh, not to, not to, to say that that's a bad thing, but the feeling that I got is that through, if only we all try to be a little bit better, then the world's going to be all right. It will not. It will not because we have no craft, we have no weapons. There's no sword to the king. And that's what I want to bring up when I talk about ontological design, right? Because it allows us to, by domesticating ourselves in relation to these ghosts, then we are also domesticating the Titans themselves. Carl Jung said that the only danger is man. And until we solve the problem of man, the problem of hydrogen bombs and global ecological collapse will still exist because the problem is man. That's, You solve that, you solve the top of the pyramid, everything falls back into place. And that's, again, why I feel that that's the only way to go. It's to the interior. That's why Dugan, and we can go to him now maybe, talks about the Dasein as the core of his fourth political theory. Now, you know, not sure I agree with everything, not sure it all makes sense, but it's a very, uh, also, he's a very magically inclined agent first and perhaps philosopher second. But when he speaks about the Dasein and he puts it at the core of his fourth political theory, I think that's what he was trying to get at, trying to refer to. It's This core is the place where the action is going to have to happen. And we need to have the courage to go there. And to go there despite all the phantasms and all the ghosts that populate the internet. All of the opinions and all the trends in this new sphere. Because that's all going to transition. That's going to be very old, very fast. And the only semblance of agency and sovereignty comes, in my opinion, in in this almost noble action of the king going under, trying to domesticate these ghosts, bidding them to do the fighting for him, domesticating both the ghosts and the titans.
0: Right. Well, I think Dugin's point is that the three ideologies of modernity, that would be liberalism, communism and fascism, all frame themselves within particular thought forms, particular egregores that are only conceivable and possible within the modern capitalist paradigm. So liberalism frames itself within liberal economic values, rationality, uh, individualism. Communism, similarly, rationality... Liberty, but it defines liberty as being free from coercive pressures of unjust marketplaces rather than liberty being the freedom to be a free economic agent and do what you will with your capital. There's this kind of inversion where where liberalism is about being free and you're equal to the degree that everybody is free to do what they want, whereas communism, it's equal and everybody is free to the degree that they are not made unequal by the forces that be, right?
1: Mm-hmm, and then
0: mm-hmm. fascism comes along and fascism attempts to do something a bit different. It's a bit more mystical. It's a bit more romantic, but it's still framed within the logic of modernity. It's about total allegiance to the strong state, which is a modern production, right? It is a techno-economic state mm-hmm produced by the homogenization of language and culture with the printing press. And it is adherence to a powerful leader or a Fuhrer or a Duce, who again is a self-made individual, who is not a noble man or a priest. All three products of modernity, the rational techno-capitalist way of being in the world. And he is arguing, Dugin, that there is another political orientation, the Dasein, as he calls it, something like the the belonging to the neurological territory of an egregore that, that is pre, that Modern. is primordial to modernity. So the Russian egregore, which he claims is not limited to the peoples who exist within the borders of the Russian Federation or the USSR or indeed the Russian Empire, but the people who subscribe and historically subscribe to the particular way, Russian way of being in the world, a particular relationship to death, to dying, to disease, a particular particular relationship to the land and to the um, and to the stars, even if you will. Now, where I think one of the reasons that well, places where Dugan and falls wrong is that just because these historical egregores exist, doesn't mean that the adaptive thing today is to become denizens of them again. So, for example. Just because the Russian egregore perhaps exists, it doesn't mean that the correct thing for the Russian people to do today is to become its priests and followers, if you will. If anything, I would suggest that there are new drives, there are new egregores being produced by digital, by the meme culture, and it is these that it is for symbolic talents and for cultural creatives to be tapping into. Not ancient egregores that existed in peasant pre-industrial societies, but machinic digital egregores that have been produced by our current techno-economic situations. Like one of them, although one that I think is quite terrible, that Chris Gabriel again talked about meme analysis in the podcast we did with him, is the anima of the internet itself. Now think about the way that the internet, something like 70 to 80% of the internet is porn, right? And it's sucking in libido, male libido, especially at an astronomical rate. And every little porn starlet, every hot chick is in a way a priestess, a face of this, this, this feminine, this devouring feminine monster, I think, that is almost irresistible a castration
1: cult, uh, cult, the Logos of Sibel. Right. Let, me, let me go back and try to frame my thoughts. So the three ideologies of modernity, communism, fascism and uh, liberalism, they are of modernity. Uh, and when he speaks about the Dasein, he's trying to invent a new center of gravity not a new, another center of gravity alternative to modernity somewhere outside and that outside of the modern paradigm today given how ubiquitous it is, he went inside. He went Heideggerian. It's the design. It's a spiritual thing connected to the land. It's pre-modern. So there's a certain thing around there. I think that's a good intuition. In the same way, though, that these three ideologies relate to modernity, <clears throat> maybe the three big monotheistic world religions also relate to Abrahamism or to the unicameral mind. It feels like they're wasn't was it was an evolution in psychotechnology back then and these three monotheisms emerged and there's also a parallel of that today in modernism maybe I'm just grasping at straws then you mentioned the today's today's today situation with digital culture being something that emerges out of liberalism right which is still modern which is going to be sort of Uh, more and more pervasive, more and more unescapable. And yes, we have these priestesses of these sex temples, except they're digital. They're fully virtual. They're all ghosts. Again, it's nuomachia. It's not a real, the war is, is mental. It's a conflict of ghosts. Again, I just bring back the idea that it is essential that we learn to domesticate these ghosts and these virtualized wills. These autonomous entities that belong to the spectacle again, egregores of all shapes and sizes. You know, there's this book called written by John D. No, it's not that one. Well, it's a book that talks about the Monarchia Infernale, or like pseudo Monarchia Infernale, the pseudo monarchy, the pseudo hierarchy of hell. It mirrors the hierarchy of the heavens that has you know low angels, high angels, archangels you know, and then God and hell mirrors that there's also a hierarchy. And within the current sort of ghostly internet digital landscape, there are the lower angels, the the, the goblins and the jack-o'-lanterns and these smaller type of entities. Right. And the fucking hierarchy goes up to the point that yes, there are larger priests and priestesses and there are larger wills and guess what the reason why the hierarchy the topology of the hierarchy not necessarily the names of the roles in themselves but the reason why I, I would think that the topology of the hierarchy is this, the same today as it was before in pagan times when we were looking at forests and we would see monsters looking back is precisely because the common measure is man the common measure is our psyche is five fingers Two nostrils and, and, and two balls. You know what I mean? And man is the measure of the universe in that sense. So when you posit the center of gravity in the sign, when you posit an ontological creative project in the self in relation to the outside, there's I, there's something to it. I think I feel like that's the only way to actually um, gain some traction and not really get lost in the public square and its exchanges and its mimetic drama and unfolding and its dilettants roaming around speaking loudly to try to be heard. Does that make sense?
0: I mean, so what I'm thinking, towards the end there you say man is the measure of the universe yes but man's measure of the universe have evolved we shifted from whatever it was before imperial metrics before the french revolution to imperial within the french revolution there was something about the new thought forms birthed and bequeathed onto the world in the french revolution liberty equality fraternity that said Let's do everything now in multiples of 10 and a hundred and a thousand. Now, that's a new thought form producing a new way to measure the world, right? And so man is the measure of the universe. But in another sense, man is the tool that the universe uses to measure itself. Man is himself a yardstick and the yardstick changes.
1: Completely, completely. Uh, Though from our phenomenological perspective, we wouldn't know better. We only see what we see, how we see. And if we were born a thousand years ago, we would think of, of the hierarchy of the world in one way. Today, being born after the late teen crisis that was the French Revolution, we see the world in a different way. Regardless of these changes, it is us who do the watching. And by virtue of that, it is through us that the watching gets done. That I I, I maintain that man is the measure of the universe, even though the measures that man perceives uh, that they are using change. And it's easy to draw the parallels. That's why there's such an idea as the archetypes as recurring themes. Right? You look at the internet, you see the same old story, the new guises. Trump is a shit solar king, and then Ronaldo is a Polonian as fuck. And then, you know, the blue church or, or you know, corporate leftism is trying to recycle this bootleg Joan of Arc time and time again, right? There's, there's Greta, and there's this righteous, stick it to the man. The, the same old stories that we've heard time and again from children's stories all the way until now. The reason is they are stories of man. They are what we are of, of humans. That's why they do have a property of resonate that they resonate. And when we map these stories, we are mapping men and we're, humanity in general. And we're also mapping some of the features of these superorganisms. We cannot perceive them directly, right? We need macroscopes in the same way that we would need microscopes these stories might be the macroscopes that we get to use you know by virtue of being stuck in a phenomenologically human world we cannot see anything that humans can't see right as humans we are limited to this dimension and we cannot really see what happens outside of time we don't see what happens before the big bang we didn't see what happened before we were born We won't see what happens after we die, at least in this way. And so the way that we like try to perceive anything that's outside, it is precisely through stories, through these scaffoldings. How do we know that a scaffolding is true as opposed to a scaffolding that is not? Um, The test of time Is one thing, and then another, I don't know. There's probably other things that test them. I'm getting ahead of myself there.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting to think again. Peterson, we've mentioned him a couple of times. His telling of the of the Mesopotamian. I don't know if it's that creation myth, that Genesis myth, whatever it is. But the story goes: there's there's many gods, and I believe they're in conflict with one another. And then Marduk who is the heroic god who becomes the king god rises up and tames the others Mm -hmm. he becomes lord over them and ends their conflict in some sense
1: yeah i think he chops up the enemy in a bunch of pieces or the big like beast and then from that he either feeds the village or builds the new city something like that Mm.
0: Universalism, right? There's a striving, there's something, some new idea comes that is able to, to unite the warring ideas and by extension, to unite the people who war due to their belonging to, or worshiping at the altars of these different
1: ideas, these different thought forms, these different egregores, the gods. Interesting that that tale, there is a crisis moment. That the hero can only emerge at the darkest hour, because he's needed. So that gives a new light to the moment that we're living today, historically, right? That we're getting to the point where we need to get our shit together and to solve the challenge that is overarching over humanity. The challenge is the composite beast, the multi-headed beast that that Hydra, right? Um, Maybe the power of the hero has to do with the fact that he's defeating the common enemy and therefore will achieve common glory, mythologically speaking.
0: Mm. It's the idea of the Hegelian dialectic, right? There's something and then there's an antithesis to that something. And then something else emerges that not only not just synthesizes them, but makes the two ideas that went before meaningless in some sense. Precisely, It creates a new, a new universality, which is a universality, but crucially not a complete universality because something will come along and be the antithesis mm-hmm. to that at some point until a, another new universality can come again and synthesize the antithesis and the synthesis. You know, you and I, we, we're friends, but then one day we get into a serious conflict and then we can't work out how our relationship is going to go on And then we figure it out. And now it's something we look back on and laugh at, right? We go, do you remember that time that we were at war with each other? It actually makes us stronger because the conflict has now been part of a shared story that we bring together. And so the uniting of the tribes becomes part of the identity, the destiny of the tribes. That's so cool.
1: And remember, Hegel mentioned this dynamic, as far as I know, I should read, him in the phenomenology of the spirit, how the spirit manifests itself, how the superorganism that lives up there in 11th dimension seeps down through the sephira of the Kabbalah and becomes manifest in the Hobbit land, Shire reality where we inhabit now, the land of you know, three dimensions and, and beer and water. And this process of triangulation, right? You just mentioned it. it. It just feels, I call it triangulation. I'm talking about the dialectic, this, the, this process between thesis, and antithesis, and synthesis. It feels so magical in a way. It feels like it's this, ref, this chorus that we can't quite memorize about reality, but that keeps coming back to us time and again. It feels, feels almost like the rule of one, two, three. Or three is the magical number, or it feels as well as, you know, in the emerald tablets of Hermes Trismegistus, this work that is attributed to Thoth, the Egyptian king of uh, God of knowledge. It's attributed to him, but actually it's uh, people like the first time that it appeared was in Renaissance Europe and the, by the hand of alchemists. And one of the things that he says there is a sort of recommendation to move by angles move by angles. I'm reading this. I'm like, what is this? I read this years ago. And that's the, that that sentence always stuck with me to the point that right now, when you say something like this, that's what I think. Oh yeah. It's it's the moving by angles. It's the fact that truth is never linear. There's always like an equation and there's always an X. There's always an unknown. There's always the incognito element. That's the best sex is makeup sex, right? (laughs)
0: The best sex is when you and your girlfriend have been arguing and feeling pissed at each other when you're like, why am I in this relationship? And then you fuck each other's brains out and then yeah. you're totally in love again because you create a new universality between you and it carries on for a while. <laughs> and yeah. then you fall out again because this is how it works. There's these moments of alignment, <laughs> these moments of transcendence, these moments where we belong and... We can act in a way, and it feels like everything we do is golden, and that's true in the lives of of singular people, and it's true in the lives of relationships and teams at work, and it's true in the lives of civilizations. High points of culture and then decadent points of culture. And the thing to recognize is that we're just at that decadent <coughs> point now. We are in a serious fucking argument with our girlfriend. I mean, quite literally, in a sense, if you look literally. at it
1: yeah the internet this anima we don't think you haven't figured out the collective anima there's a reason why there's feminism which is it's angry um three is also a number that implies a certain momentum certain motion whereas four means stability and staticness three means you know you can't balance i mean you actually can but it's it could be tilted I don't know, I feel like it implies a certain moment, a certain momentum, certain movements, certain falling down through history towards the future, being exiled constantly from the past, from Eden, where there's a couple of angels angels with flaming swords stopping you from going in. Yes, because you don't go to the past, you remember it. And like being propelled to the future uh, because there's no other way to go even today to solve the problems of, of, you know, the world as they are so many today, uh, where else to go other than forward and upwards? Kind of this mythologically positive accelerationism that I'm trying to refer to here. Uh, what, else, what else might there be, man? Even Aragorn in the movie, and I'm always going back to Lord of the Rings for some reason today, He was Strider, he was a bandit in the beginning. He was a thief, a petty drunkard. And then eventually he became a king. He discovered himself. And there's a certain beauty to that as well.
0: Precisely. You know, if you went back to the ancient world and dropped a bunch of submachine guns there, things would change very rapidly. That's where we're at now the neurological submachine gun fucking hell yeah spraying memetic content in every direction but not only that in a sense they're like their weapons their bombs frozen in time you know a message that i sent on facebook 10 years ago or a comment that i made is still there a twitter a tweet is still there waiting for some social justice activist to dig it up and then crucify you at some unnamed point in the future. Hmm. We've utterly littered our mental landscape with bombs waiting to go off.
1: Mm -hmm. Precisely. It's become saturated, chaotic. So cool. You mentioned like, uh, as if the cell phone was a submachine gun from the future. Like I I like that comparison because again if we go to the flatlander cosmology you you're familiar with the flatlanders right explain it hmm so <coughs> so i promise it's not covid <laughs> so imagine there's a civilization that lives in a 2d reality in a sheet of paper in an architectural b- blueprint right and 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 they do not have access to the third dimension. They live in here. And when I, a, third, a being that has three dimensions that has depth, touch it, what would they see? They would see a blob, a blob of the moment where my finger meets the
0: paper, right? Daniel is drawing a rectangle on a piece of paper for people listening. Yes,
1: and it's a makeshift uh, architectural blueprint. And, and what happens is they, because they don't have the third dimension, they don't know where it comes from. So they look at it coming in and out and in and out. And they're like, what the fuck is this? They don't realize that it's actually a hand. But then there's probably a dude in there or a girl. And they look at these five blobs that correspond to the tips of my five fingers. And he starts to think, hmm, maybe they're all connected. Maybe there's a relationship between them. He starts to do the math. A lot of equations with a lot of x factors and with a lot of unknown unknowns and he figures out that hey perhaps this is actually something that uh comes from another dimension but we just can't see it if only we had a macroscope right it's a super organism that is so abstract that they can't perceive it and i think the same thing happens with us now that uh you know we look at the events of everyday life and we look at the, you know, the archetypes that play in the collective mind. We look at Trump and the internet and at Ronaldo and at all of these, At climate change and all this shit, the acceleration. And we don't really make sense of it. We don't really get it. We get like pissed that it happened here and didn't happen there. And we're like angry, but mostly confused, mostly confused, angry as a second, a secondary feeling. And then, what I think we are at the point of uncovering out of necessity and due to the void left open by some, we're on the verge of discovering perhaps how to do the equation that connects all these events together, that connects the Titans together, that out that they're about to make out the shape of these, macrobes these superorganisms that and and not only the shape because shape is a very three-dimensional centric type word but also their workings and also how they can affect our lives and how we should relate to them and maybe in the process find a stable way to relate to them and to ourselves because we should bear in mind that they are us we are them because we are all one
0: In a way, it's our job to to enculturate ourselves to these, these forms in the way that previous historical Daseins enculturated themselves to the thought forms that reigned over them.
1: Yes. And what happens when one does that is one funds civilization. But funds, founds, but also funds. If the currency is the vitality that descends from above, uh, but I truly believe this. It, 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 any any artist will tell you this. Any any person with a priestly inclination will tell you this. It is just that today we live in a period also of symbolic deflation. You know, back in the day, people would see very few symbols during their lifetime. And so when they see a cross or a religious painting or maybe even a pentagram and a couple of occult symbols, they'd be like, what the fuck is this? And it would cause an impression. And obviously there's more to the story about actually doing magic, but the impression caused therein on a sort of uh, virgin perception that has never seen anything, a serious business it would have more weight more effect but today because the internet has created so many symbols there's a sort of symbolic deflation happening meaning that the potential impact of these previously existing ones has been deflated is now worth much less because there's so much shit happening and so that just twists the problem in on its head so the problem becomes okay we don't even know where we're looking at. This is Rocky Five. Whereas before, the problems might have been others. Today, the problem is one of chaos, of knowing up from down, of knowing which of these symbols is correct and, and which ones should we follow and which ones represent noise, which ones hold value and which ones do not. It's a very late capitalist, postmodern type of um, theological problem.
0: The postmodern way of looking at symbols or the symbolic landscape is to say all meaning has been cut off at its root. The cross once meant something, but now when one sees it, it is devoid of meaning. And so with every other symbol, although there's this weird kind of, I don't know how to put it exactly, but The thing about cultural appropriation, right? If some white kid at a festival is wearing a symbol that supposedly belongs to an African or West Indian tribal culture, then somehow that's a social taboo. They shouldn't do that because they're disrespecting the symbol. I mean, the classic example, I think, is the West Indian headdress. If you wear that, you're somehow violating the codes of another culture and you shouldn't do that. Or, Or drawing Muhammad, right? That is somehow a taboo for Western people, uh, even if we don't believe in Muhammad. But I think the point to raise against this this postmodern viewing that the symbol is is devoid of meaning is that if you actually allow yourself to to meditate on the symbol, to study a symbol and to meditate on not the representation, the symbol is just a representation of an idea of an energetic thought form to tap into that energy is to discover where it came from and that's there and that's never left it and in a sense that's what these um these sjw's who are talking about cultural appropriation in some sense are, are trying to intuit towards but they just they fuck it up because they're not tapping into it in a in an esoteric sense they're just saying don't don't use another culture that you don't understand Don't turn them into victims essentially it's not about victimhood at all it's it's playing with playing with fire but where I where they would see perhaps cultural appreciate uh, cultural appropriation we see a cultural playground. The point is not to to traditionalize and reinstate the symbols within a very rigid ancient hierarchy, but to say, how can we respectfully approach these symbols in the same way that the appropriate way to use, say, psychedelics is to respectfully approach psychedelics, not to dress up as a Peruvian shaman and go walking around the Amazon rainforest and pretend that you're a Peruvian tribesman from the 1400s. No, but it is to show respect for ayahuasca if one is to use it
1: hmm I, I agree with you um i think this is a non-starter it feels like this whole problem uh while it's despite the fact that it's still playing out in the public square it's already dead meaning that what we're seeing now is it's ram- dying ramifications because the question is not one of trying to keep each symbol connected to the you know the sign intransmissible identity of each of people and try to keep uh, the cultural limits very uh, delineated, which is like an extremely conservative idea if you ask me so in that sense there's something to explore perhaps. but the real thing here is that in accelerationism, in late capitalism, all symbols become meaningless. all meaning becomes, incorporated into the spectacle everything is going to become marketable period doesn't matter where it comes from everyone is equally worthless in the face of the autonomous spectacle worthless or worth something which is probably even worse because because then it becomes capital brought into capitalism and so again our challenge is not to build the nice walls that will make the good neighborhoods both in the land as in the heavens both in the countries as the conservatives would like, as in the symbolic heavens, as, you know, people who complain about cultural appropriation would have. But the problem here is a different one. There's no walls to be drawn up anymore. Uh, uh, this is chaos. This is Rocky Five. This is Blade Runner. This is a symbolic swamp, a web, and full of ghosts. We, it's like no man's sky, not no man's sky. It's like the that that text by Surkov mm. where he says that people will not know up from down, left from right, uh, male from female, dead from alive. That's the big problem. Symbolic saturation, the chaos. Yes, the
0: symbols are dead within accelerationist techno-capitalism. They have been suffocated and life is sucked out of them but my point is that they exist like like ruins of archaic civilizations and if one is to dig up or find in an ancient library somewhere the code to reading that civilization the symbol is reinvested in the same way that the ruins are reinvested i think what is dead does not die there's a saying <laughs> something along these lines right Fair death enough. is death is relative in a sense. The mm-hmm. postmodern
1: graveyard of
0: meaning is,
1: I hope,
0: temporary.
1: Fair enough. Um, then let me throw another thing at you. The the symbolic saturation is performed on the only landscape that actually matters, which is the new sphere. And we do still, and I think we will forever have a little bit of control over it, meaning we can choose not to see by 10 a.m. more symbols than our ancestors have in their whole lives. You can choose not to be living in this uh, social media colonized world and perhaps doing digital diets, performing a little bit of digital nutritionism is a start to be able to navigate this graveyard of symbols that is the postmodern internet and make a little bit of sense of it, not, you know, see, smell the value within the things and not necessarily be swayed by every um, hook that tries to keep our attention for a little bit more. Putting us on the back foot, mm-hmm. putting us as Strider, not as Aragorn, you know, putting us in that regressive place of just swiping continually and having McDonald's pumped through our veins, and it's very
0: symbolic neurological mcdonald's maelstrom all at once but my point is there is a practice to be had in in unplugging oneself even if for five minutes 10 minutes half an hour an hour a day mm. and just choosing one symbol one idea one thought form one line of poetry one passage of scripture one mantra and meditating deeply upon it mm. To take it into oneself, into one's breast, into one's gut, and to ask not what does the cross mean? But what is the what is the the state of being that gives rise to a symbol such as the cross? Mm-hmm. And to practice putting oneself in that place.
1: Let me ask you a question. Like, what do you think if you were a super organism and you're farming humans? What do you want to farm? What do you want to harvest? Attention. Mm-hmm.
0: I want. I have a libido, right? I have something that birthed me into being, and I have some kind of vector. I'm moving. And in order for me to move along this vector, I need some kind of energy to propel me. And that is that is human attention that wraps me up in the power games of humans. Like Foucault says, power is everywhere, right? Mm. And these, these machinations of power, it's like ripples of water on the surface of the sea. And each ripple is the movement of, of a thought form. But... Most of them move and fizzle out, right? But on the oceans, the ripples turn into waves. And then the waves cascade. There's a snowball effect, I think.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think, so I don't know if the correct question is, Mm -hmm. I can't even remember your question now, but there's something, it's the machinic desire, right? It's a desire, but it's not really in the way that we understand desire. It's more of a machinic drive yeah let me what is it driving at? what is it doing senselessly autonomously purely out of its own force of force of existence
1: that's like that i mean you mentioned a couple of things that make sense to me and i want to add another one but like you mentioned power libido the tension i think they're very connected a person with a very high libido has the potential to, if they are smart enough to achieve great power through it. I saw an interview yesterday about a guy who had worked with Steve Jobs. And he said that even when he had cancer and was about to die, had more energy than he had when he was at the peak of his physical form, right? Because there's just, just how it is. Um, not to glorify or deify these people, but it, there, there does feel like there's a relationship between that. And then you mentioned attention, And the tension to me, its intensity and quality do come from the quality of the person and the quality of their sort of energy, sexual and otherwise. But then it just, I want to ask you what you think about this. Like the unspoken assumption is time. The unspoken dimension that undergirds um, both ourselves and perhaps these superorganisms is time, meaning, that's the only currency that doesn't scale, right? I, I have my days counted. I will, they will expire. So do you. And when we expend our attention, we are expending life force. And perhaps these superorganisms just want that time. That's time as libido. Time as, as Time as libido versus timelessness as the matrix as this eternal regression towards nothingness timelessness time as phallic libido as i want to pay attention to this i want to go there what do you think
0: truthfully time is not something i've spent much time
1: thinking about let's see if i think with time i think it's not too hard one and you know this is um for me the way that i'm seeing is that you can go cyclical you can go linear or you can go timeless so there's this teaching
0: in the branch i think it's the tantra that i've been following i'm not sure if it comes from tantra or yoga but it's from the teacher that i've uh, that i practice under which relates to this idea of intentionality and formulating an intention that is to happen in the near future. In some sense, Tantra is about mastering your libido and your desire in order to actually get what you want, but make sure that what you want is the most authentic thing possible to want. And the idea being that if one can contact that or really authentic desire, then there's something timeless about it. Mm -hmm. The desire to have made a thousand pounds by next year or to have finished the book you're writing by next summer. Mm -hmm. If that desire is fundamental to the being, then it is timeless. Then if one contacts it and meditates on it, then it will come into being, right? Is that uh, the same as the allure of attraction?
1: I know what you're talking about. That there's to, The way that I would f- look at it is that the first, in my personal experience, not having done any of these practices is that when you formulate that goal in its most abstract terms, as abstractly as you are capable of, then the more powerful will it be. And then as it seeps down into reality, you know, it, it will gain contours that are typical of reality, like, you know, getting the book done by the end of year or getting a thousand pounds on Patreon, whatever. This all means um, giving a name to something that is very abstract, that is this very, this goal that lies beyond the edge of human perception, outside the reach of the titans and their hooks. It's, the North star that you will carry within you some somehow the ability to formulate that infinity is, is also very key. That's why people of great imagination and intuitive capacity that are able to formulate such a high goal within themselves. It's, you know, it's very personal and, and deep. And we have a conversation about this the other day type of thing, but like, if you do that, that sort of magnetizes you to, to, to an extent that you know everything else in life becomes you know, uh, less important. You're writing history in advance. Yeah.
0: Would be the way it goes. And <coughs> the more that through personal practice and intense devotion to this, this point that has been pierced in the fabric of reality of the future, the more agency and libido one can muster Mm. to channel
1: the forces of oneself and the forces outside of oneself towards this thing. Albert Pike, this, this Mason from America, lawyer type guy, very famous in Masonic fields, in his book, Morals and Dogma, said something to the tone of, There's an energy that men can access, and with it, they can boil the oceans. And it's metaphorical, but I think he's talking about this. He's talking about this ability of, that ability that is commensurate with the ability to formulate infinity within you. And the ability that comes subsequently to muster the resources of reality and recruit them and regiment them and organize them so as to move towards that goal. Cause what else is there? What else would there be? You know, Pornhub and McDonald's? No, thank you. There is much more to life than that. Especially if if you you know if you just fucking sit down and close your eyes and, and ask and repeat that ask or you know meditate, go to the edge of perception and get scared a little bit, but also get inspired a little bit
0: the synthetic god is in the future yeah man there are many gods above us in in the sky in the internet but there is a god in the future that has not come into birth yet a god that is in some sense deeply loving and nourishing because the journey towards it creates life in a
1: direction that is rich and nourishing. And it is also punishing insofar as you may not fully align with it. You know, any person who has a why will bear anyhow. I think that's what we're kind of touching upon here.
0: Precisely. That's the same idea. God is in the future, a why can bear anyhow. Yeah. And God is why. Because a why is a reason. A why is, why are you doing this? Because of that.
1: Yeah. Why are you withstanding such failure, such pain, such, uh, you know, isolation, such loneliness, such whatever? Because.
0: Because, because I'm a servant of something. Yeah. I mean, the, the only caveat to that is there's also an answer. Why are, you, why are you suffering so much? Because I'm running away. That's the flip side to it. That's where God is in the past. I'm running away. The thing that gives my life its meaning is something that happened that I'm trying to get away from rather than something in the future that I'm, I'm aiming towards, the North Star. It's fucking Peterson again. This is why Peterson was such a fucking electric figure because he, was, he wasn't the messiah by any rate, but he was a fucking prophet. He was a fucking accidental esotericist who sowed the
1: seeds of lightning amongst the people. Isn't what you just described um, exodology at the individual scale? Meaning we're running from something and we're loving something that might come tomorrow. We're running away from Eden and going towards Zion or whatever. Mm. Linear concept, Something started and then we are moving through the time dimension towards somewhere. You know, there's going to be bumps on the road. There's, there's some weird events happening on the way, like a lot of pain, a lot of war, a lot of death, a lot of love, a lot of laughter. But you know, 10,000 years of this is there's meaning to this it is not worthless it is not nihilistic all possibilities are not born equal there's a hierarchy to that I think that's 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 the thing and there's a hierarchy as well to the newosphere both divine and hellish within those inhabit the superorganisms and the egregores with which we started this conversation I think and we should perhaps end on that note what do you think
0: i'm ready this has been scouts from the news
1: thank you for joining us see you next week You enjoyed the show consider becoming our patron and helping us put out more content like this
0: patreon.com forward slash technosocial